Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have local author Jack Freeze. His recent historical fiction novel is titled Destination Korea, and it centers around a team of Navy SEALs as they join forces with a nuclear attack submarine to face a threat from North Korea. Educated at Johns Hopkins University, Jack served in the Naval Reserves and was a professor at the United States Naval Academy. His novels focus on U.S. military history, and he is here today to talk with us about his work. So welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thank you very much for having me here. Um, You came to me with a book of poetry, and since then we've done um, two historical fiction novels. What kind of inspired you to start moving towards uh, your novel, Destination Korea? Okay, well, that's a good question. Um, Well, the first thing was there's a standoff, a Mexican standoff between North Korea and the United States, and I figured there must be a way where we can take these people out or do something to resolve the problem. Right. So uh, I figured, well... What's popular? Navy SEALs, drones are popular, the nuclear submarines are popular, mm-hmm. so uh, perhaps we'll have a covert mission and go over and take the leaders out. And that was <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the thesis of the story. <laughs> and now when you were, so how long ago did you get to writing this? Is This is just because we've, uh, we've had tensions with them for the last 50 years, oh, it makes it easier to... Oh, this is uh, back in the fall. Yeah. It hit me and I started to think about it. And now when you put together a work of fiction, do you like let it unfold as you're going along or do you kind of outline it out? Like how do you how do you go about putting the actual story together? I have a general idea of how to start the thing and then I let it uh, go along its merry way. Mm. Um, in this case here, the SEALs, I had them going to uh, 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 New London, Connecticut for their training so they could get the escape training they needed from the submarine. Uh, and then once that started, uh, I knew that the uh, only way we could take the Koreans out is with this attack drone. Mm-hmm. And uh, because uh, what we had to do there was um, eliminate their radar systems before we could get the drone through. So one thing led to another. So I had to have them trained in anti-drone radar systems and also they had to learn how to operate that underwater vehicle because they were going to be in an underwater vehicle to get ashore and how much of what you said is made up and how much of it is a real thing uh the technology is all real i got all of that believe it or not from the internet yeah i believe uh, (laughs) uh, but uh, the technology is all real It, it leans toward the technology but i also try to bring the human interest side in by having the wives involved with the seals and the struggles and stress they experience now you uh, you're you're a career navy guy as it is. Uh, no, I was eight years naval reserve, but then I was an engineer. But at the time, I worked on Polaris submarines and mm-hmm. back in the '60s. I see. So I got a feel for uh, the operations. And that's what I was wondering. How much of that do you bring to bear yeah. on your writing? Right. Yeah. So I was involved in the design and implementation of some of the launch equipment for those submarines. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we were talking about uh, the novel and you were talking about even 
like including some of the math that you did to make sure that everything <laughs> everything read correctly and i remember jack came to me and he's like now i've done all the math for this and i was like he's like do you think we should put it in i'm like you can put that in there but i will tell you that it's sort of you know sometimes i think people sort of want to jump into the story but i think that was to your credit and maybe that comes from you know your professor days at the united states naval academy was making sure the details are as right and as true as possible i had yeah i tried to make it as realistic as possible so i went through the numbers uh, for instance, the speeds of the submarines, the speeds of the torpedoes, these kinds of things you had to know. Uh, so how long it would take for the torpedo to reach the enemy sub, that mm. kind of thing. So I worked those times out. And then there was a super cavitating torpedo that went 200 miles an hour underwater. Wow. Can you believe that? The Russians designed that. So I had that in the book. Mm. And I had to figure out how long is that going to take to get to our sub and how fast can we knock it out? So those kinds of things. And, and now, But you didn't yeah. include the actual calculations. You were just made sure. I didn't did, put them in the right, novel. Right, the, the amount I, of the I time. I did them on the side so I could get a couple numbers to put in that were realistic. There's this great uh, story that I heard. There was a television show, used to be on it, called Breaking Bad. And there is this one scene, apparently, where they have this huge thing of cash. And they actually figured out if there was, I don't know how much, let's say $10 million, what $10 million would look like in a pile. Because they knew someone would come along and complain mm -hmm. if, oh, that pile was too big or too small to be $10 million. So in a similar vein... If you do the math, then no one will come back and say, well, no, a, a torpedo couldn't get there that quickly right. or would take not that long to get there. That's right, because I'm sure somebody reading it will know what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if we need the math, but if you, if you know it's right, then we'll, then we'll go with that. <laughs> well, I didn't put the math in there, but at the end I had a note yes. for the reader mm -hmm. saying this is how I came to that and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. It saves yourself getting the emails. Save me, <laughs> <laughs> but is it so I noticed that, you know, when we're working on Destination Korea, you know, you have a real sense of what these men would have thought, what they would have felt, you know, when you get into the narrative part. And I guess kind of jumping on a question Tony maybe asked earlier, is it I would assume, you know, based on your your military history that you would have pulled some of your personal experiences or experiences of your you know friends that you know would have in order to kind of create characters that really felt real yes uh well on active duty i would meet other sailors and uh share experiences with them and so forth and some of the trials and uh problems that they would have you know uh both on the home front maybe their wives or something are concerned. I have in the novel that uh, one of the ladies is so distressed after 16 years with her seal uh, that uh, she's about ready to leave him when he's about ready to go on this mission. Hmm. So we have that stress in the novel. And uh, so ultimately at the end, everything works out fine, but he does get wounded. And uh, so we go through those problems too. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, really rings true is that you know there there are many facets to to that sort of to, to the military history there's there is the home front i think that was another thing that you addressed also in the book that you did about world war one mm -hmm. that i worked with you on mm -hmm. um called the great war and and you you focus on you know women who became nurses and then when they returned home how they how the interactions went so it definitely seems like you 
took an extra effort to include not just the facet of the mission, but other other parts of what they would have been going through. Exactly. Uh, yes, uh, the human interest side of these stories uh, really appeals to me uh, and what the people go through, the stress and strain. Um, but um, in this case here, uh, the lady uh, was upset emotionally. It was affecting her job and that kind of thing. So she was going to go back home while he's going on the mission. Of course, when he gets wounded and winds up at Bethesda Naval Hospital, then uh, she comes back on the scene and things work out for him. But um, uh, it's just uh, a very difficult situation that they were in because uh, the ladies would have no idea of what the mission was about or when they would expect to see their husbands again. So uh, it was very trying times. Yeah. One of the things that I was talking with a friend of mine this week about characters in general, we were actually we brought up Stephen King because what makes his novels good isn't that they're scary. It's that you care whether the character dies, right? right? <clears throat> so if you have these characters that people connect with, you can have them do whatever you want and people will care because they right. care about the characters. They want to see how the characters' lives turn out, right. which is different from just an action where just this happened and this happened and this happened. Right. And so yeah. I think it's important to have to, ha to show a personal side so people can start to care about the characters. Well, I even try to throw another uh, uh, aspect in, some humor. I, I work a little bit of that in through the novel. Uh, one of the characters on the boat was a master chief, Indian, who could tell the funny stories and uh, keep everybody loose, that kind of thing. But uh, it was, I mean, uh, one typical story, I don't want to bore you with that, but uh, where he said there, there was a battle between the Cherokees and the Senecas, and uh, nobody was winning, so the Senecas went and bought dynamite and threw it at the Cherokees. Unfortunately, the Cherokees won because they lit the fuses and threw them back. <laughs> That kind of humor, to right? Just, just, and that's that's the kind of thing that you know that, that people just knock around just to keep to keep things light, especially when it gets tense. It's always nice to have right. someone who's able to uh, to lighten mm -hmm. the mood. Mm -hmm. The first military book that you and I worked on was centered on World War Two. One. Uh, I'm World sorry. One. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely, World War One, and then we skip all the way forward to current day <laughs> <laughs> with the Navy SEALs in North Korea, and I was. And I remember when you handed me the book and I thought, oh, this is going to be North Korea as part of, you know, post-World War II. And that, and I was like, no, no, we're, we're in modern day. And I was like, man, we really jumped far ahead. And I just didn't know if that was something that, I mean, do, do you have a World War II book in there anywhere or, or any other? Or did we just sort of... I'm thinking about it, but um, yeah, no, as they say, we must move with the times. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Now, uh, World War One. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, my grandfather's farm, he had a book that was published in 1919 called The Great War. And as a child, I was entranced by it. Uh, and so I got interested in that. And then later I came across a book published in 1920 about all the battles in France during World War One, and they had all the pull-out maps, and it just happened to be written by Dwight Eisenhower when he was a young officer. Right. So that really got me going into the interesting side of it. Yeah. And so what so made you feel like for your first novel you wanted to, like, 
what appealed to you about World War One for your first novel, as opposed to World War Two? Is it just as early reading you did, or? Uh, well, originally I was interested in the Civil War more than anything. Uh-huh. I still am, but um, World War One appealed to me. Um, it was. Uh, a breakthrough in the new technologies. Uh, the tanks were coming on the scene and the new weapons. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, the gas attacks, those kinds of things. Uh, not that I enjoyed it, but, I mean, it was a new uh, approach to warfare. And mm-hmm. the millions and millions of people involved in this thing, it was just a waste of humanity. And, uh, unfortunately, um, it didn't come to anything because after the war, Germany was down and they came back up 20 years later. They so what did another, they do? Yeah. I'm sorry. They say in another couple hundred years, they'll probably just call it the 30 years war. The thir- yeah. Because it just started right. in 1990 or the 20-year war. It started right. in 1919 and ended in 1945 mm-hmm. um, because it was it was essentially just a just a timeout between, uh, between the two. Right. Exactly. And that was also when I was... When I was doing the book that you did on World War One, mm-hmm. you you really focused on the aviation component, as you know, and and even incorporating you know the Red Baron and and things like that, which I thought were was a really interesting sort of detail and sort of spin on on it. Um, it all started. Uh, my family's from Northern Neck of Virginia, right off the Potomac River. So I started with my characters from that era, and. Uh, it so happens that my characters are going down the river in a boat with the new motor, which had just come out because it was all sail prior to that. Mm. And all of a sudden, they see this airplane coming over. First time they ever saw one in their life. They thought it was another boat, didn't know where it was, and they see this. So they all got excited, and he decided, I'm going to take lessons. And he winds up in Norfolk taking the lessons, and he runs into Billy Mitchell, who's going to be a head of the Air Force. He's taking right. lessons also. <laughs> so one thing leads to another. But ironically, he takes his sister up for a ride, and they're riding over, and there's a submarine coming along. It's a German submarine called the Deutschland, which really happened. It came up to Chesapeake Bay to Baltimore with gems and what have you to, so they could get war materials to take back prior to us entering the war. Right. So they got all excited over that, and uh, one thing led to another, and he winds up in France. And to meet the Red Baron, I had to throw that in, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, of he course. survived that, and incidentally, the Red Baron later uh, it was a close call, and he wound up behind the Red Baron and could have taken him out. And the Red Baron saluted him as he took off. Months later, the Red Baron drops a box uh, as a gift by sh- parachute to him, and it was a box of cigars, saying, "I hope nothing ever goes up with smoke with you except these." Uh. <laughs> so a little human interest there too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. You started off uh, with with poetry. It was your first with, was your first book. So, can you talk to me about the distance between the time that you were writing poetry, kind of for yourself, and then deciding that you wanted to mm. kind of get it published and out there? Okay. Well, boy, that well, that was back in the eighties, I suppose. I was doing that. Uh, I wrote that based on my childhood experiences on the farm in Virginia. Uh-huh. And back in those days, it almost seemed like it was antebellum. <laughs> I mean, people were working on those uh, tomato factories and so forth on these little coves down along the r- rivers. Right, yeah. And they would be paid in tokens instead of money, and they'd had to spend the tokens at the store, which they happened to be the right store. there, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. So I would work in the fields with these people and pick tomatoes and so forth, and... Uh, 
that started me going, uh, writing about the water and uh, all poetry based on the water, and uh, they were watermen mm-hmm. and farmers and so forth. Yeah, I remember when we were, when I did the book of poetry, I think the first time you put it out, I think was 1981. Oh. And I remembered a lot of the stories were about um, oysters and the watermen, and right. it had a very sort of truly Eastern Shore feel. Right. Um, I think even the title of it was Life on the Chesapeake, A Sentimental mm-hmm. Journey. Mm-hmm. And it and it really showed to me when I was looking at it, you know, not that we, sometimes we over-romanticize, you know, the Eastern Shore, but it just generally came across that you had a, a love for the landscape and, and these memories that you had. And mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was, the poetry was, was really, really sweet. I mean, it just <laughs> had yeah. a... I could the the tone mm-hmm. of it was was just so incredible. Well, the sentiment is there uh, because back then it was a different world living down there. This was like in the uh, mid eight late forties uh-huh. when uh, before the roads came in for the trucks, all everything was shipped by boat right. up to Baltimore. That was the major hub, and uh, the, the watermen. It was a different environment entirely. Yeah. Were you born on the was this uh, Eastern Shore of Virginia or mainland Virginia? Uh, no, it was the mainland Virginia. It would okay. be on the western shore of the Chesapeake okay. Bay, called the Northern Neck. Okay, tidewater yeah. area. Mm-hmm. Tidewater, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And so, like, why? What? What's the distance then between your book of poetry and then your first novel? You know, what? What was the catalyst that finally got you to start to sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna sit down and I'm going to do this now? Well, I thought uh, I was reading a lot, reading a lot of novels. I said, gee, maybe I can try one too, you know. Uh, and so I started the World War I uh, one using people from that same era, same uh-huh. area right. uh, that I wrote the poetry about. So I started off with that and, and uh, sort of, continued on. Sort of seems like kind of mining from materials that felt familiar. You know, you have this book of poetry that's sort of born of these experiences and then saying, okay, I'm going to try my hand in a novel, but I'm going right. to use something that feels familiar right, and pull exactly. it into, into something that maybe is unfamiliar mm-hmm. and then off to the races. Exactly. Yeah. So I had something to start with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What did you find was the most difficult part of getting the novels? started uh well i would try to make an outline Mm -hmm. for one thing of how the thing's going to proceed uh starting off um the question would be where am i at when i start this thing Mm. and what year is it uh what physically location uh exists where i'm going to be and um who's going to be involved in it and, and what's it all about? Uh, I have to create some kind of scene or issue that uh, I can proceed with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm, that's what, and where did you, did you draw that from some of the books that you'd been reading or did you just create it from whole cloth? That's the. Well, I had a couple heroes. James Mishner was one of them and he uh-huh. wrote Chesapeake, which I read many times over so i tried to tailor it after his style Mm -hmm. and then another favorite of mine was shelby foot uh if you've heard of him Mm -hmm. but in civil war primarily right but uh he wrote very easy but he he used to say his hero was a guy named marshall prost the french writer who would meander around with sentences with commas and semicolons and make a complete paragraph out of one sentence now why do you like him don't know i mean william faulkner liked him too but 
I couldn't get into that. Being an engineer, I had to be concise. Economy. And, and I had to keep the thing moving without too much background to distract. So I developed my style that way. Yeah, I've yeah. always thought that when you take a topic, like if you're going to write about war, that's such a huge, you know, for example, we had a fellow on who wrote about the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a, but I mean, there's a thousand topics. There's how many battles, there's both sides, there's, there's so many variables to write about right. that, you know, I said to him, like, like how do you, how do you narrow it down enough? And so I guess my question is if you so you've written about World War One, um, there there was so much material there to work with. How did you decide to narrow it down to to France per se? Well, of course that's where the major conflict was in France, and uh, I I tried to take a two prong approach to this thing. I had uh, Francis going in as the aviator. And then he wound up with Billy Mitchie and Eddie Rickenbacker, who was a real hero. Right. And, uh, and then on the other side of the coin, I had some Baltimore boys drafted in the 80th Division, so they would go in on the land side and fight the battles there. And then ultimately, they all merged together. Mm. One of the Baltimore boys marries one of the Virginia nurses, and uh, that's how the story concludes. What do you do to, like, kind of promote your books? Do you do, you, do, you do signings? Do you do... Uh, did you did you do uh, go to libraries and do signings or anything like that? I have done signings when uh, border was it borders and business over in uh, Annapolis area. Yep. Yes, there are so. books a million. Yeah, I mean, books yeah, a million. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've done a couple signings over there, mm-hmm. and uh, they seem to generate some interest. And they had my books on the shelves over there too, That's cool. so that was nice. Um, with uh, I'm a supplier with Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and I'm uh-huh. on I'm on their internet websites, mm-hmm. uh, so you can go and put my name in, and the books will come up. Yep. Uh, my problem now is to try to convince them to put the books on the shelves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's that's what I'm where I'm about now uh, to try to do. I do have some on the shelves in Annapolis at one of the. Uh, stores downtown there uh, one of the smaller stores they they grabbed them right away and said we want the world war one and the destination korea right well people so, people especially annapolis is really they i mean they for obvious reasons i guess are really into maritime history so right, right. it makes it would make sense that they would that they would snap that up that, there that, yeah. i say i send books to friends and so forth mm-hmm. and family that kind of thing um and uh, I was thinking about uh, YouTube or uh, maybe even Facebook. Yeah. You know, to try that exposure. And do you feel like that you're, do you feel like you have another one? Are you thinking about doing your next book already? Is that, or are you out of gas or what? No. Yeah. Still going strong, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I hope so too. Okay. I, I, sometimes you have to, uh, decide should i draw the line on this thing am I, is this thing going to fly or uh, or am i just wasting my time because it right. takes a lot of time of course but i do like a girl by the name of hetty carey she was a baltimore gal during the civil war and it, she's in the museum merlin uh, historical society and shows her painting with her wearing a, a dress made out of the confederate flag and she's marching all over baltimore with the union troops all around mm-hmm. and she's also smuggling uh, uh supplies across the river by rowing the supplies herself across 
And so uh, ultimately they say, you got to leave. So she winds up in Richmond and becomes friends with Jefferson Davis and Lee and all these people down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she's supposed to be the most beautiful girl in the South, of course, which, and this is true. All this is true so far. Right. She marries a general at the Battle of Petersburg when Grant was surrounding the, the, the area. Right. He's going to front lines, and she's right into a, a house right behind the front lines to take care of him as he comes off the field. He winds up getting killed, and they got married at St. Paul's with Jefferson Davis there. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, he's killed, winds up with a funeral at the same church they got married in. In fact, they brought his body into the kitchen and put it on the table while she's in the other room fixing things wow. without realizing it. So it's... It, awful lot of stuff that you can build on oh my gosh yeah absolutely so, so i've been collecting books for that but i've been procrastinating about starting it <laughs> well that's the thing right you you have this you have this notion and then you do a bunch of reading but then you still have to let it stew in your head like a crock pot for a little while right before you're ready to before you're ready to mm-hmm. get it started mm-hmm. um and is that is that kind of what you were were doing with this most recent one this destination korea was it how long was it kicking around in your head before you? Uh, probably all last summer. Yeah, I was saying, gee whiz, what can we do about this? You know, mm-hmm. apparently the government's not doing too much. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just fascinating. I just want to kind of go back for a second to, to the Civil War story. Mm-hmm. So that would be really your, that would be you using a, a, a female protagonist at that point would she would would are you thinking that you would build the story sort of from her perspective or uh well that's a good point um it's a true story for one thing uh i would bring her in and try to concentrate on her from her perspective right what she sees there and how she meets there's a cousin with her that goes with her named constance carey in fact those two girls were the first ones that designed the confederate flag so huh. awful lot of history in this, but I, I I think I should concentrate on her outlook on things. Who yeah, she, that's really you know. Interacts uh, yeah, I've never heard of her before. Yeah, yeah, I always think that it's interesting when someone sort of brings someone who had such a role, but we we've right. never really heard about it, you know, and, and sort she's, of bringing it to yeah, life. Yeah, she's uh, well known up at the Merlin uh, Historical Society in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> yeah, and. I guess the last thing that I want to just touch on real quick before we before we kind of pull into the station here mm-hmm. is overall, what do you think the most satisfying part of doing these books has been for you? Like, like as far as personal satisfaction as well as professional satisfaction. Well, having been an engineer and doing research all my life, the research for this stuff is what's amazing to me. And then, and then when I see see it, uh, the writing completed. Mm. That that's satisfying, but the research is the major thing that uh, I and enjoy. And now, do you do do you do archival research, or is that like where do you, do you, have you been like when you go to the Mar- uh, Maryland Historical Society? Do you, do you go down and get into the archives there? Oh yeah, yeah, do that. Or? And uh, uh, but most of it, unbelievably, is the internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or uh, I also use other books. Sure. That even fictional books, you know. Uh, yeah, and, mainly historical. And when you and I were working together on this book, there were a ton of um, 
when we were working on Destination Great and also on the the Great War book, um, Jack includes a lot of uh, photographs mm-hmm. and um, visual representations of different things. And so, as he and I were working on the book, there were a lot of database uh, material and um, archives, and especially specifically with photographs. And because you know, for me. You know, as a reader, uh, a tomahawk missile versus a, some other kind of missile, like it didn't right. doesn't really register. But then when you know, uh, Jack would say, "Okay, in this part, we need a photo of this," and so I'd put it together, and then I would go back, and I was like, "Okay, I found this photo. Is is this right? Is this a tomahawk?" <laughs> and, and she was like, "Yeah, that that'll work." You know, so um, there were a lot of um, resources to to pull on when we were pulling this together. Mm-hmm. A lot out there in the public domain, which yeah. uh, we could draw on. I mean, we found just about everything we wanted. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, Stephanie, well, this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Jack, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and talking about your novels with us. It's been my pleasure, believe me. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.